Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Matt Abel. Hello, Squeaky Clean listeners. Welcome to the 87th episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, where we bring you the latest in North Carolina clean energy news, policy, and more every two weeks. On our episode today, we're traveling across the state to bring you audio from a solar ribbon cutting. But what's noteworthy is who the system is for and how they financed it. But before we get into that conversation, we have a few updates to share. All right, so an important update as it relates to energy efficiency here in the state. Just around the corner, the North Carolina Building Code Council will be hosting a meeting on March 14th, in which the topic of updated energy conservation codes will be on the agenda. This is critically important as the council will be weighing updating our state codes to the 2021 International Energy Conservation Code standards, which could help homeowners save an average of $345 a year in energy costs on new homes built here in the state of North Carolina. Updating the codes is also critically important to ensuring that we're eligible for millions of dollars in funding allocated for North Carolina via the Inflation Reduction Act. At that March meeting, there will be a public comment period where individuals will have the opportunity to share remarks in support of updating the conservation codes. Furthermore, there will be a written comment period through April 17th. We've included a link in the show notes with more details about the meeting, location, and time. And in breaking news this week, the results of a confidential market reform study in South Carolina have been published in a few media outlets, with the public report set to come out sometime this spring. The results of the study showed that South Carolina ratepayers could save up to $362 million a year if the state ended up joining PJM Interconnection. The same report shows that joining an RTO would also make it easier to adopt more wind and solar power while helping to attract new industries and customers to the state. As a reminder, this study is the result of a market reform study bill that passed the South Carolina legislature back in 2020 after the $8 billion-plus VC summer nuclear plant failure in the state that straddled ratepayers with the cost of a failed project. In other news, utility bills may be getting even higher for North Carolina customers after Duke Energy Carolinas proposed to raise rates by 16.6% to account for the significant increase of natural gas prices over the past year. This proposal is the largest ever fuel filing increase in Duke's history. This comes after Duke has already proposed double-digit rate hikes via their multi-year rate filings currently in front of the commission. Between both of these proposals, utility customers in North Carolina could see some significant rate increases over the next couple of years. Okay. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different than the usual long-form interview. Instead, we had a chance to travel to a ribbon-cutting event in southeastern North Carolina to talk with a series of stakeholders about a different spin on the typical way of financing a PV system here in the state. And at the same time, we hear from the customers themselves about what drove them to install the system, why they decided to be the first in their community to take the step, and how the benefits driven by solar will help the organization reinvest in their community. We uh, welcome all of you here today. It is a special occasion. We're calling this a dedication and a ceremony. And uh, the reason we're doing this, the solar farm, I call it, or rooftop solar, however you want to call it, 
was commissioned uh, about the second or third week of uh, December. A few months back, I was invited to attend a ribbon cutting for a commercial PV system in Pembroke, North Carolina. This wasn't just the typical run-of-the-mill commercial solar installation, though, despite the fact that the panels on the roof look just like any other install you might have seen in the past. The difference here is how this system was financed. This is a really great model where SunWealth is able to provide a no upfront cost financing option. They're just paying us an ongoing lease cost, and it's a fixed price such that they're able to basically create energy savings as utility costs increase. That was Jordan Sweat, project finance manager with SunWealth, a clean energy investment firm who provides financing for projects like this one for the Lumbee Regional Development Association. And for Jordan, their involvement in this project is more than just numbers on paper. He's also Lumbee himself. My family comes from the Lumbee tribe. I'm a proud Lumbee citizen. And it's really meaningful that I get to work on this project because education and community development is really important to my family. And the LRDA's mission is to really reinvest in the community. So we're creating energy savings for LRDA through the system, and those savings can be reinvested into the community through the work that they do. That's core to their mission. And for the financing, well, as he mentioned, this project is leased to the customer at a fixed rate every month. In many cases, the system will produce more power than the cost of the lease, therefore generating net savings to the customer. Eagle Solar and Light is one of the few installers in the state currently offering this model. So why is that the case? Well, under House Bill 589, passed back in 2017, the state placed a limit on the total capacity of solar that could be added to the grid under a lease agreement. That bill caps the total capacity at 1% of all solar installations. That limit makes it incredibly difficult to build and scale a business model around this financial paradigm. However, Eagle Solar and Light has been able to identify a corner of the market that leasing works particularly well in, nonprofits. And for Laura Combs, the focus on nonprofits is more than just identifying an opportunity in the market. I'm a mission-driven person. I'm an environmental planner and urban and regional planner by training. And so social injustices, environmental injustices have been part of my career since I began. Laura has been able to take this model and successfully bring solar to nonprofits across the state, including some recent projects for Reverend William Barber III's nonprofit Rebuilding Broken Places. And thinking about which communities across the state had some of the most need, Laura began reaching out to tribal communities. So when I had the good fortune to be employed by Eagle Solar, I thought, who can I help the most? Who has been left out of clean energy? And so I learned more about state-recognized Indian tribes and realized that they needed the opportunity that Eagle Solar and Light and Sun Wealth combined can bring to them through solar leasing. Ms. Laura Combs and Eagle Solar had reached out to the State Indian Commission last year sometime. And uh, Greg Richardson, he's the CEO up there, he referred Miss Laura to call me. And so we started a conversation. Our building, we just put a new roof on, coincidentally, a year or so earlier, where that's how I kind of came to be involved with getting this project done. That was James Harden, the recent executive director of the Lumbee Regional Development Association, a nonprofit focused on providing services to disadvantaged members of the Lumbee tribal community throughout Robeson, Hoke, Scotland, and Bladen counties. The organization has been in place since 1968, offering education, employment, training, and housing assistance services to those in need the most. For James, the decision to go solar was twofold. 
a concern about the planet, and the ability to save money on their utilities so that they can reinvest that money into community programs. Instead of paying uh, Duke Power for the power they're generating, we're taking that money and paying for the lease on the unit, and at the end of the day, we'll have savings. We're a nonprofit. So in the nonprofit world versus the private sector world, any savings is definitely a plus. So I'm concerned about our planet. American Indians in our country, uh, they should be carrying the tune in terms of let's save the planet. They should be the main one singing the song, and they are. But we're such a small population that we don't get heard, you know. In selling the project to his board, it didn't take much convincing after they saw the financials. Beyond the leasing, their decision to go solar also involved no upfront cost or investment from the nonprofit. $56,000 from Duke Power with the rebate, and that will make the down payment on the system. So we're not having to write a check out tomorrow for 56000 to make this happen. <laughs> In the case of LRDA's solar project, they were able to collect a rebate from their utility, Duke Energy, at $0.75 cents a watt for their 76-kilowatt system, totaling more than $56,000. Again, Laura from Eagle Solar and Light. With Eagle Solar and Light and Sunwell, with our partnership, uh, having the, the Duke Energy rebate is what has made solar work uh, as far as solar leasing is concerned. And the goal is for the Duke Energy nonprofit solar rebate to serve as the, the down payment, quote-unquote down payment, for installation and then have the lease cost be less than the utility savings. The combination of the rebate program offered by Duke Energy and leasing made solar an easy choice for nonprofits like LRDA. However, that's no longer the case as the rebate program offered by the utility recently expired at the beginning of the year. And since that period of time, we haven't seen a similar program approved by the North Carolina Utilities Commission. The loss of the Duke Energy nonprofit solar rebate will have repercussions or impacts on the ability of low-income and marginalized communities to access solar. And so I'm hoping through DOE grants or other avenues that I'm researching that we can bring more money to folks who, who have historically been left out of clean energy. But as Laura mentioned, while the rebate program is no longer on the table for nonprofits in the state, federal funds might be able to help pick up some of that slack. In fact, we've already seen some other nonprofits and municipalities capitalize on a provision within the Inflation Reduction Act, allowing tax-exempt entities the ability to receive direct payment from the federal government in lieu of a tax credit when they deploy a clean energy project. This is especially notable given that the IRA increased and extended the investment tax credit for renewable energy projects to 30% over the next 10 years. Now, nonprofits can recoup that 30% in the form of a direct payment. Dr. Henry McCoy, a presidential appointee within the Department of Energy who joined the ribbon-cutting event, shared the record amount of support from the federal administration in advancing the clean energy economy. One of the, the, I think the most exciting things is that for the foreseeable future, this whole effort around decarbonization is going to be at the forefront. There's more money in this space right now than, than we've seen in a long time. I mean, again, these are historic investments. Dr. McCoy, who leads up the Office of State and Community Energy Programs, also shared the administration's focus on justice and equity. President Biden, uh, who I worked for as appointee, um, essentially signed something called a Justice 40 Initiative, an executive order, the day after he took office, which says that, that you know, 40% of these resources at least should be going to communities that have historically been 
um, left behind and disadvantaged and things of that nature to make sure that they're not at the back of the line, but at the front of the line. The Biden administration's Justice 40 initiative was put into place with the goal of ensuring that 40 percent of the overall benefits of federal investments flow to disadvantaged communities that are marginalized, underserved, and overburdened by pollution. This directive will help to ensure that more funds flow into communities like Pembroke to help further enable their clean energy transition. And while the Lumbees were one of the first tribal communities to install solar here in North Carolina, they certainly won't be the last. Greg Richardson, Executive Director at the North Carolina Commission of Indian Affairs. My hope is, too, that your efforts here in Robertson County will be taken on by other tribal communities in this state. Uh, we at the Commission of Indian Affairs have been working with Laura here, uh, talking about the, the opportunities for solar energy in our state for quite some time. And we're going to continue that dialogue, and we're going to continue to work in that direction. But what we hope to do is to bring this same type of effort into some of the other tribal communities. It is so much needed. Oh, and wondering what the benefits of this system is to LRDA and the local community? They're expecting to see $8,200 in utility bill savings in the first year, while offsetting more than 1,000 metric tons of CO2. My key takeaway from this episode is the importance of leasing as a tool to enable a wider swath of customers from across the state to receive the benefits of installing solar. As mentioned during the story, North Carolina currently has a 1% leasing cap in place, preventing installers from capitalizing on this option and offering it to a lot more customers like the Lumbee Regional Development Association. Leasing is a great way to help customers install solar and see a net savings on their bill every month. We've already seen solar leasing take off in other states across the country, opening the market to customers who otherwise would not have been able to participate. Now's the chance for North Carolina to capitalize on the growing jobs and investments made by rooftop solar installers in the state by giving the industry a shot in the arm expediting that growth. And you know the deal. Let's stay in touch on Twitter. Give me a shout at Matt Abel for future episode ideas, questions for our next episode, thoughts on today's episode, and your worst energy joke one-liners. And episode 87 of the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast is in the books. But before you leave, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share the pod on whatever platform you're listening in from. Sharing this podcast with your network and growing the friends of the pod helps us get just a little bit closer to our shared vision of a clean energy economy for North Carolina. All right, that's it. See y'all later.